Man, glad you're here today. Just want to do a quick shout out to our Santan campus, to our Scottsdale campus. Just so glad you guys are part of what's going on in this place right now. If you've been around, you know we're doing a series called Big Words. And they're not big words, unlike the ones on the screen. And did you notice there was one person in particular that did pretty good with the big words on the screen? Did you? But it's not, it's not because they're long. Okay, that's not why they're big words. Uh, they're big words because when you understand the word, when you begin to live out the word, they have big, 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 big effect in our lives. And so we've just been taking some time together, unpacking some really critically important words in Scripture that up until now, we've probably been tempted to just kind of read them over and skim on through to the next. And we're pausing together to let these words sink in and change us in a really, really big way. If you've been here and you've been part of the series so far, you know that we, uh, we start out with a word called repentance. And repentance is just simply uh, coming to a place in my life where I go, look, I, I was living a certain way. Uh, that way was apart from God. It was what I thought was best. But I came to a moment, I, I realized that was broken. That was just completely messed up. And matter of fact, that, that wasn't going to get me anywhere that I wanted to be in my life. That was death. And that in repentance, we turned 180 degrees. That we said, that's how I used to live, and now I am turning, I'm going to live a completely different way. People do this when they first discover Christ, they make that turn. Sometimes as Christians, we have to make that turn. We have to say, hey, I, this is something that's still in my life. I'm turning, but I'm turning that 180, and I'm going completely different than where I've been going up till now. That was repentance. And then we talked about this idea of the gospel, which is simply the story that says, what does it mean? What do I have to believe in order to actually encounter Jesus Christ? And it was way simpler than we've often made it out to be. The gospel is just this. I've sinned. I've done stuff. And I may not like that word a whole lot, but the reality is I have. I've done things that disappointed God. I've done things that bring uh, regret in my life. I've sinned, and I can't fix my sin. I can't go to church enough. I can't be baptized enough. I can't take communion. And There's nothing I can do that fixes sin. But Jesus hanging on a cross fixes sin. Jesus hanging on a cross pays for my sin. And so I am deciding to put my trust in Jesus to fix what I can't fix and to be my Savior. That's the gospel. 
It's not about church attendance. It's not about confessing to a priest. It's simply about, I know I've sinned. I can't fix my sin. He can fix my sin. I'm asking him into my life. And then we talked about this word called justification. And justification is this amazing thing that happens in the moment that I become a Christian, in the moment that I accept the gospel, I am justified. And it's this remarkable thing in which Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, makes it so that it's just as if I had never sinned. He completely cleanses me. He completely makes my life pure, just as if I had never sinned. Guys, this is also the reason that Jesus is the only viable answer for the world. Here's the deal. Muhammad cannot justify you. Buddha cannot justify you. And maybe even more importantly, Christian-like religions that want to make you go to church a whole bunch of times or follow their regulations and their rules and do it, cannot justify you. The only thing that can justify you is Jesus on a cross. Period. And it's why it's such an incredible story that you and I have to tell. Today, we're going to talk about what happens when you get to the other side of the cross. And it's a thing called sanctification. And chances are it's a word that you've read in the Bible and you thought, oh, I think I kind of, kind of, sort of, maybe get what that is. But sanctification, very simply, is this. It's a process. It's the thing that happens the moment you become a Christian. It's God's commitment to grow you up, to mature you. You ready? To make you look like his son. Sometimes the word's going to call this holiness. Because at the end of the day, who's the holiest person that ever lived? Jesus. And so as you and I become holier in the way that we live, as we put aside how we used to behave and begin to behave more like Jesus, we will be holier in how we live. We get this messed up. See, we we think... Hey, in order to come to Jesus, I need to clean up my life. Maybe I need to attend church a little more. Maybe I need to stop cussing. God doesn't care how you come to the cross. You can come as messed up, screwed up, broken up. God doesn't care how you come to the cross. But once you come, God absolutely refuses to leave you there. And from that moment on, he is absolutely committed to moving you to look more and more like his son, Jesus. That's called sanctification. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles, go with me to Romans chapter 12, because there's a remarkable passage here that many of us have probably seen in the past and didn't even necessarily realize that it was dealing with this topic of sanctification. It's Romans chapter 12. Go to the back of your Bible and then work to the left. You're going to find this. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Here's what we're going to discover. That when you became a Christian, when you made that decision to be a Christ follower, everything about you changed in that moment, even if you didn't realize that it was happening in that moment. Everything changed. Uh, Every man in this room understands a, oh my goodness, I'm not sure my life is going to be the same now moment. How, how many men in here are married? Okay, so here's the moment. You ready? You finish the honeymoon. Uh, she's now moving all of her stuff in. And you find yourself taking your clothes out of the master closet. 
And now you are walking down the hallway to put your clothes in the hall closet. And it occurs to you, I think my life is forever changed. And you are right. It'll never quite be the same. And when you and I come to Jesus, whether we understood it or fully comprehended in that moment, in that moment, you and I were forever, forever, forever changed because in that moment, we were going to begin this process with God of being sanctified. Here we go. It's Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. Therefore, I urge you. Look, I'm, I'm pushing you on this topic. I'm, I'm nudging you in the direction that you need to go. I'm urging you to figure this part of your life out. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of what Jesus did on the cross for us, in view of the penalty that we avoided, in view of the unspeakable love that God extended towards us, In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, here's the deal. That's a weird phrase for you and me because you and I don't go around sacrificing things very often. But you understand that first century Hebrews, Jews, reading this verse knew exactly what Paul was talking about. Because here's what you did. You took your best lamb, you took your best goat, and you took it to the temple and you sacrificed it. And when you took it there, they killed that lamb, they killed that goat, and you didn't get it back. So you were truly giving it to God, and you would never receive it again in return. Paul in this moment says, hey, when you became a Christian, the thing that you and I were to intuitively do, the thing we should have naturally done when we did that, was to take our lives, lay them on the altar as a sacrifice. Never to be taken back. Interestingly, though, not a sacrifice that would die, a sacrifice that would live. That every day from that day forward, you and I would live honoring this Jesus Christ who died for us. Because, 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 you ready? Because when we became Christians, everything about us changed. As a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God... This is your true and proper worship. It's interesting because in the King James Version, that word proper is reasonable. And Paul is saying here, look, look, when you figure out what Jesus did for you, then giving your life to him so that you can become like him, sanctified. It's the only reasonable thing for someone who says they're a Christ follower to do. Because in that moment, Everything changes. I've got a friend and uh, he was describing a moment in his life when he went, oh, no, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I knew in that moment my life had changed. It was the birth of his first child. He's in the hospital and uh, his wife has just given birth to a, a little baby girl. He said it was kind of irritating because I'm sitting there and they're playing past the baby. And I was like the 14th person to finally hold my daughter. And I'm the dad. So finally, he gets to hold his daughter. He's holding his daughter, and he 
begins to, she's not breathing very well. So he says it out loud. He says, hey, I I don't think she's breathing right. Of course, the nurse then goes, well, you're just a first time dad. That's how they all breathe. And he goes, no, she's turning blue. I, I don't think she's breathing right. And he walks her over to the nurse. The nurse takes one look, grabs his daughter out of his hands, runs out the room. That's a reassuring moment. 10 days in ICU. Uh, she'd been born with a, a lung inflex, infection. One of the lungs had collapsed. She's now in intensive prenatal in intensive care. Got a tube going in her uh, chest. And he said, in that moment, he said, it was remarkable in because, first off, I felt a love for that little baby girl, even though I'd only held her for a couple minutes, that was absolutely surprising. I said, I, before she was born... She was kind of like an idea. But something happened in like the 45 seconds I held her that my heart was given to this little girl. I fell in love with her. And I found myself pleading with God and saying, God, God, look, I don't care. I'll sell my house to pay the medical bills. I don't care. If somebody has to die, I'll die. Let her live. I don't care. And as I was pleading with God, he said, you know, it hit me. Wow, my my whole life has just changed. I've got a feeling that my life from this moment on is a whole bunch more about her and an awful lot less about me than it was up till now. You get that's coming to Jesus. That when you and I come to Christ, when you and I step over that moment in faith, what ought to hit us is, oh my God, I... I have suddenly found this incredible love for God. I, I didn't even know that was going to happen to me. I, I'm just telling you, I mean, this side of the cross, God was kind of a frustration to me. I, God was sometimes the enemy. And then I made this decision for Christ. And all of a sudden, there's this love starting to grow in me that I just, it's just almost surprising how differently I feel about God all of a sudden. And I have an intuitive idea in my life, even though no one's even told me yet. I have this intuitive idea that says, from this day forward... I've got a feeling my life is going to be an awful lot less about me and an awful lot more about him. Because, because, because. You ready? When you came to Jesus, everything changed. And if you haven't experienced that, if you're here today and you go, Lynn, I, I, I don't know that I've ever felt that intuitive love for, I, you know, I like him and he's pretty interesting. Or, I don't know that I've ever had that just deep sense in my life that, I'm supposed to be living the rest of my life for him. I, if you haven't experienced that, is it possible? Is it possible that maybe you've never really actually experienced the cross? That you're a good religious person, you're a person who's intrigued by God things, but maybe you've never actually made this decision. Because... When you encounter Jesus Christ, everything changes in that moment. Grab your Bibles again. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians. And if you left your Bibles open, uh, you'll just uh, work to the right a little bit. If you closed them, go to the back, work to the left. 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 4. So in that moment, when you and I became Christians, God said, okay, this is where I found you, but this is not where I'm going to leave you. I mean, literally everything that happens now, 
Get this. Everything that happens post the cross is now going to be about making you look like my son, Jesus. That, that's where we're going. That's what this is about. That's the goal. That's the plan. That's sanctification. That's what, that's, that is what's going on. So here we go. It's First Thessalonians chapter 4. Here's what it says. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to, what's the next word? Please God. In other words, just look, look. As we tried to explain to you what this meant to be a Christ follower, it was all about how do I live in order to please God, to move forward in this sanctification thing, this becoming more like Jesus thing. Every Christian is going to have to come to a fundamental question, and how you answer this question is going to change your life. Does God exist to please you, or do you exist to please God? Let me just ask that again. Does God exist to please you? Is God just your own personalized, glorified Santa Claus? Or do you exist to please God, which means you're a disciple? You're a sold-out follower of him. Back to the passage. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact, you're already living. Now I ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. He says, look, look, you're already heading in the right direction. You've kind of gotten this thing going the right way. I'm just telling you, put it in a different gear. It's time to get really, really serious about maturity and growing up and becoming like Jesus. It's time to focus on sanctification. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be, next word, sanctified. Exactly what we're talking about. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to be control his own body in a way that is holy. Because the closer I get to Jesus, the more righteous my life. And honorable, not in passionate lust like pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. The Lord will punish those who commit such sins as we have told you and warned you before. Now watch verse 7. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live holy life that does. uh, Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you the Holy Spirit. So here's what he says. Look, look, if if you don't figure this out, if you keep struggling with this idea, if you don't accept the idea that God is going to make you more like his son, you're going to fight God your entire life. You get what I said? You're going to struggle with God all along the way. Because, because, because. You ready? Because God is absolutely committed to making you like his son. And you're either going to become like Jesus or you're going to die while God is trying. All right, let me say that again because that was good. Okay, that was really, really good. Somewhere tonight you're going to be going, that was good. 
You are either going to become like Jesus or you're going to die while God is trying to make you like Jesus in your life. But that is the plan. That's, and here, here's why this is so huge. Because God is not concerned with making us happy. That's not, that's not what he's concerned about. God's, God's plan, this isn't about whether or not you're happy. It's not about giving you a happy life. It's about giving you an amazing life. And that amazing life happens when you look like his son. Which means, ready for this? It means it's possible that a lot of crud happens in your life. Because it's not about having a happy life. It's about living an amazing life. And sometimes the greatest things we learn, the most powerful lessons of our life, come on the other side of unfairness and pain. And if you don't get that, and if that doesn't start to sink in, chances are you're going to fight God your entire life. Let, let me see if I can help. When you and I focus on happiness, when you and I run our lives through, does it make me happy? Life gets super confusing. Because here's what's going to happen. Uh, you're going to be following Jesus, and then all of a sudden, you're going to lose your job. And you're going to go, man, I, I, how does, why would God let that happen? There, that's so unfair. That's so unfair. I've been going to church every Sunday. I even joined a small group. I've been a lousy employee, but I've been going to church every, how did I lose my job? And it sure doesn't make me what? Happy. Okay, all right, so. God kind of blew that one. I'll step past it. Uh, how come my kid is the rebellious kid on the block? What's that about? I mean, I, I don't get it. I mean, I, you know, we've been like having this Christian home thing and I've been, you know, training up a child in the way he should go. And I, how is it that my kid's just such a mess? I, I'm thinking I'm more than willing. I would, I would trade him in. Uh, you know, Jeff for Tim straight across, you know, but... How is that going to make me happy? And I'm just, guys, I'm just telling you that if this is the lens through which you process Christian discipleship and following God is, is God doing his job to make me happy? First Thessalonians just said, you're going to fight with God all your life because happiness is not sanctification. Becoming like Jesus is sanctification. But if I take that same moment, and now I look through the lens of sanctification, what was God doing when I lost my house? What was God doing as I struggled with my child to help me become more like his son, Jesus Christ? And you begin to look through this lens of sanctification, all of a sudden you go, are you kidding me? Everything that I thought was wrong, everything that I thought was unfair, suddenly lines up in this perfectly straight line to make me more like Jesus. And suddenly, life makes sense. Because, because, because. God's goal in your life is not for you to be happy. God's goal in your life is for you to be like Jesus. God's goal is not to make it so that everything's joyful and good. God's goal is to make your life remarkable. It's the heart of God that every room you walk into there's so much Jesus on you that when you walk out of that room, people say, I think Jesus just left the room. 
There's so little of me in me and so much of Jesus in me that when I walk out of the room, people go, there's no way that guy, there's no way that gal did that on their own. God has absolutely transformed them. There's so much Jesus on them. I think Jesus left the room. Do you remember when Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin? And as they get done, these two very common fishermen, and they threaten them and say, don't talk about Jesus anymore, and they send them out of the room, and when they finally leave the room, do you remember that they turned to each other and they said, man, those dudes have been with Jesus. See, that's what's supposed to happen with us. When you and I leave the room, people say, man, that person, that person's been with Jesus. And suddenly the lens of sanctification changes everything. Some of you guys have heard my story and you know about my baby sister Diane. So I'm born the oldest of four siblings. I was the only boy. I have three younger sisters. My baby sister Diane was born autistic. And it's not autistic like you see on TV a whole bunch where, you know, someone is mildly autistic and then they're a savant at playing the piano or a savant at mathematics. My baby sister in her entire lifetime probably never got functionally above a four-year-old. And uh, Diane would um, come into the room and she wanted constant attention. I mean, constant. If you didn't show her 100% attention, 100% of the time, she would do whatever was necessary to get that attention. So she'd come in the room, you weren't paying attention to her, she'd just clock you one. Blam! You're like, well, okay, I'll show you attention. I remember uh, two guys came over from the church one time. Guy walked in the room and said, hey, we're from the church down the street. We just wanted to say it. Diane comes running around the corner. Quack! Clock. <laughs> they never came back. Uh, Diane would go. She'd throw like a towel down the toilet. She'd flush the toilet so the toilet would run. She didn't care if it was negative attention. She just wanted attention all the time. She'd turn on the stove and she'd put her hand on the stove and then she'd cry and She'd get attention. So you had to watch Diane all the time. And I'm just telling you, as a young teenage boy, that doesn't make a lot of sense. That gets really, really awkward to bring friends over to your house. Sometimes Diane would run through the house and she wouldn't have clothing on. And you got your friends. Sometimes she'd just knock them out, but... Can I tell you, as a young boy, looking at Diane through the lens of happiness, I'm sitting there going, God, I, I just don't, my family's already got enough struggle. Why would you have us have an autistic baby sister if you're good? And I'm just telling you, God, that, that makes no sense. How does it make sense for Diane? I mean, can Diane be happy with this type of, dis- I mean... How does, how, how, how in the world does this add up? Because I'm just telling you that this lens doesn't work very well. Can I talk to you about a 21-year-old man? Who by that time knew that he was being called to ministry. And it suddenly occurred to him, in all the gifting that God has given, in all the abilities God has given, I am horribly deficit in patience, in grace, 
in kindness. And God gave a young man who he knew from the day he was born what he was calling him to do. A baby sister who every day of her life, every minute of her life needed patience and kindness and gentleness. And suddenly, I looked through the lens of sanctification and said, Oh my goodness, my baby sister was one of God's greatest gifts in my life. That God in his love and favor taught me what I never would have learned without my baby sister. And I have become so much more like Jesus because of Diane. I think it's interesting that Diane died shortly after I married and moved out of the family. Because I think it's almost as if God just said, Diane, job well done. You messed that guy up for Jesus really good. Yeah, he's not half as poopy as he used to be. He's doing... What are your Diane moments? See, what are, what are the things that God's been pushing and doing and moving in your life? And that, and that if you've been looking at them through the lens of happiness, you may be frustrated with God right now. You may even be a little angry with God and you're going, hey, I just don't get this because God, after I came to you, everything was supposed to be good. You don't understand sanctification. Sanctification is about making you more like Jesus. And if you would just simply stop and say, what is it that God has done in my life? Hard, unfair crummy moments that were intended to make me look more like his son. And you'll all of a sudden go, oh my goodness. He's been doing that since the moment I got saved. And he's been doing a good job. So here's what I want us to do. I want us just to take a moment and do just a little bit of self-reflection and a little bit of a questioning and just say, since you came to Jesus, how are you doing in sanctification? How are you doing in this growing up and becoming more Christ-like? Are you where you should be by the time you've been a Christian as long as you've been a Christian? Are you moving in the right direction? And about a year ago, we asked you, we kind of put up a little, some boards and did a little bit of a survey of self-evaluation. I think it's a great moment for us to go back and just say, since the last time we asked the question, how are you doing? Are you moving forward in sanctification. So, here's what we did back then. We talked about the idea that some of us in the room are pre-Jesus. And what we mean by pre-Jesus is simply this. You just haven't made a decision about Jesus yet. You're still exploring. You're still figuring it out. And I was going to say, that's great. It's okay. We created a church where figuring out Jesus is all right. And you're in exactly the right room to do that. The only thing I'm going to say is this. If this is where you were a year ago when we had this conversation, what's slowing you down? Isn't it? Haven't you already seen it? Don't you already know you're going to make that decision eventually? And why not now? Some of us in the room fell into the category of baby Christians. And baby Christian, look, baby Christian is super, super simple. Baby Christian is somebody who's just kind of come to the other side of the cross. They, they've just accepted Christ. So this, it means there's a whole lot of you in you if you're a baby Christian because you haven't moved to a place where there's a lot of Jesus in you yet. Matter of fact, here's one of the ways you know you're a baby Christian. 
you have to tell people that you are a Christian. You just do, because here's, here's the deal. Look, look, there's not enough Jesus in you for them to recognize it in you yet. And so you have to say, hey, you know, I, I go to Cornerstone and I'm a Christian and yeah, I just thought I'd tell you. And they walk away kind of shaking their heads. And so if you're a baby Christian, don't tell anybody you're a No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. It's okay. It's part of the process. It's there. But here's just all you got to know. There's just an awful lot of you still in you if you're a baby Christian. Some of us in the room are selective believers. And selective believers just simply means this. You select. Uh, you choose which portions of the Bible you want to believe or obey, and you choose which ones you don't like, and you throw those away. You sit here every Sunday with a little marker, and you're going, I don't like that part of the Bible. I ain't going to do that one. Or you know, Someday, someday I'll obey that portion of Scripture. The truth is, you're a percentage believer. And the big struggle, because you're in a constant fight with God, is what percentage of your life he gets to have this week. And you realize, if you're a selective believer, there's a little bit of an arrogance there, because you know what makes you a selective believer? You're pretty sure you're smarter than God. Because if God actually got a hold of your whole life, he'd ruin you. So you're going to hold back the parts that you need to hold back, because that's where you're smarter than him. And you're only going to obey the parts that he made sense to you in. Selective believer. And then finally, there are mature Christians. And here's what you need to know about a mature Christian. A mature Christian is not someone who's sinless. They're not. Mature Christians struggle and fall. Here's the deal. Mature Christians are simply done arguing. What mature Christians have decided is that God is always right. And therefore, it's always a good idea to obey. And so even in the moments when they struggle, even in the moments when they fall, they don't get up and go, boy, I wonder if I'm going to keep following Jesus. They've already decided, I'm going to follow Jesus and everything. And matter of fact, here's what a mature Christian would say to you. The most important areas of my life in which I follow Christ are the areas that I don't like following Christ. Because that's the decision that means the most to Christ when I follow. It's a mature Christian. All right, maybe this helps. And again, here's what we need. Just try to figure out, hey, where am I? Where am I? And maybe in the, have I moved in the last 12 months since we talked about this? Okay, so here, here's baby Christians. Baby Christians, I don't know why this is. Baby Christians always struggle with attendance. They just do. So if, if baby Christians are, you know, man, I've already gone to church this m- once this month. I'm done, you know? And... and Here's why I think baby Christians uh, struggle with that. I think baby Christians struggle with attendance because if they go to church once a month, they've already got so much Jesus, that's all they can handle for the next 30 days. Like, oh man, don't give me any more of that. I I gotta let that sink in for a while before I go back and get any more Jesus on me, right? And so you gotta, you gotta just, you know, you, till you get back again, okay? It's interesting because one of the marks that you're kind of maybe moving through this and maybe getting to toddler stage is that your church attendance becomes regular. And it's just a sign that, hey, maybe maybe you're starting to move from the phase. It's interesting, uh, selective believers. Uh, selective believers, their big question is, how much am I going to study? Because what they become aware of is, hey, my doing church on Sunday isn't going to get me far enough, fast enough. 
And so if I'm really going to get serious about trying to move forward to maturity, I'm going to have to invest another hour of my life. And so selective believers start signing up. They start signing up for a small group or they sign up for a Bible study or they, they go to the mine for a little while. Here's the interesting thing. When selective believers first start trying to move forward, they always want to shine, sign up for the shortest term things. How long is that Bible study? Four weeks. Wow. Four, four weeks. Do you have a three-week option? No? Okay. As you move through, selective believers start saying, no, 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 I, I get it. This needs to be faithful. This needs to be an every week thing for me. Mature believers, you ready? Mature believers are worried about investment. See, mature believers have come to a point that says, you know what? The only things in my life that really, really matter are kingdom things. And so I've got to take in light of what Jesus has done for me. I've got to start giving that back. I've got to start sowing that back into the kingdom. This is why you'll find mature believers don't struggle with the tithe. Because mature believers are going, dude, are you kidding me? If I can put that into influence and work for Jesus, man, absolutely. That's why mature believers don't struggle with serving. They're going, are you kidding me? I get a chance to change a kid's life. I get a chance to disciple a younger Christian. Are you kidding me? What an amazing opportunity. And mature believers are all about investing. So here's the question. Where are you at? As, as, as God has been growing you up, where are you in the continuum? And by the time someone's been a Christ follower, as long as you've been a Christ follower, where should you be? You realize we've got people who've been Christians two, three, four years, and they're still baby believers? We've got, we've got people in this room, you've been a Christian for 20 years, and you're still a selective follower of Jesus Christ. You're still picking and choosing which part you're going to obey. And by the time you've been a Christ follower, as long as you have, and if this is the most important thing in your life once you come to Christ, where should you be by now? And I'm just going to encourage you. What would it mean to leave here today to say, God, I get it. I get it. This is all about me becoming more like Christ. And so I'm just going to commit myself as I leave to move. And so if you're a baby believer and this is your once a month in the room, maybe moving just says, I'm back next Sunday. And I'm back the Sunday after. I'm, I'm just going to make being in God's house a consistent thing. I'm going to do that. For some of us, you say, you know, Lynn, I, maybe I'm done being a baby believer. I think I'd like to move forward in my life. Well, you, you know what that means. That means you're probably going to have to sign up for a study. You're going to have to get into a small church or you're going to get into a small group because you're going to say, look, I can't get enough Jesus on me in one time a week. And I've got to sign up for something else. So maybe just sign up for one this year. For some of us, you say, no, no, no. It's going to be a regular part of my life. I, I'm, I'm just in. I'm going to always be in a growth pattern, in a study pattern of my life. What would it mean to invest? What would it mean to finally become mature enough to go, the only things in my life that matter are kingdom things. And so I'm always looking for where to invest in the lives of others, in the church. I'm going to serve like crazy. I'm going to give like crazy. I'm going to disciple younger believers. Because investing what Jesus has done for me makes perfect sense. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we simply come to the moment and it suddenly occurs to us when we became Christians, when we crossed past that cross, 
everything changed. And suddenly the focus of our lives, the plan of our lives was that we would become more and more and more like you. That we would walk into rooms and people would say, I think Jesus just walked into the room. Because there's so much Jesus on us and so little of us on us. And God, I just, I'm just asking today that every one of us would leave this place committed to being sanctified, to growing up in you, to be further in our walk the next time we have this conversation and to say, no, 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 God has taken me so far, but he took me there because I finally started cooperating and joining in. God, sanctify us. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.